Thank you for listening for the History Podcast. I am the Vulgar Booger once again, and I am really, really thankful for um, you know the support I got from everyone. Um, it, it surprised me really. I didn't expect such an outpour of supporting, and uh, thanks a lot, really. Um, so um, that inspired me to keep going. I decided I'm gonna keep going, and I am going to. Today I'm going to talk about religion. Uh, religion plays a pretty important role in the Balkans, so um, I can't cover a, pretty much anything here. So I'm going to concentrate on one thing in particular. What what role did Orthodox Christianity play in Bulgarian society and shaping Bulgaria as a nation? Um, now I'll start with... Um, Orthodox Christianity found itself to the Balkans and to Bulgaria a long time before the events I'll talk about. But... Um, I want to talk about specifically about um, Boris the First, also known as Boris the Baptist. Um, he was the Bulgarian uh, ruler uh, back then. He was known as a Khan. Later, he became a Kniaz or a Tsar, depending on the situation, depending on how you look at history, and depending on the documents you read. But before everything else. Uh, I'll try and uh, talk about the situation in Bulgaria before, actually the moment he came on the throne. Bulgaria was, up to that point, uh, pretty much embroiled in wars on all sides. We were fighting for our survival, and not only were we fighting against outside threats, the society of the Bulgarian state was divided. Uh, on one side, you had the Slavs. The Slavs had their own religion, had their own language. Uh, they used the Greek alphabet. Uh, they didn't have their own alphabet back then. Um, you know, they had their own, basically, uh, language. Uh, and most importantly, they had their own religion. Uh, the Slavic Pantheon, uh, which took out the majority of... Which the majority of the Slavic people followed. Uh, the Slavic Pantheon was pretty much an offshoot of the Greek Pantheon. And that the, the main god was the god of thunder. Uh, he was known as Perun, the god of thunder. And on the other side, you had the um, the Bulgars. They were the vast majority. But on the other side, even though the Bulgars were the vast majority, they ruled. They were the aristocracy, the up ranks. And as you can imagine, in any social order, the aristocracy are not pretty much loved. I mean, yeah. That you can imagine that. Um, so the aristocracy and uh, you know the normal people didn't like each other, uh, especially given the fact that um, as time wore on, as time went on, the uh, tribal alliance that was the early Bulgarian state grew into uh, grew into something pretty different. Uh, it grew into into a country and. Uh, like it or not, both of these groups, both of these ethnic groups, were more or less stuck in the same country. So, Boris came to the throne um, from this, in this society, in this fractured society. Uh, he came from the family of Krum the Terrible, which I want to talk about him, in, but I'll do that in, in a different episode. Uh, he was badass, I mean, Krum was badass. Um, he came from the family of Krum the Terrible. Uh, he came from a long line of uh, warriors, of Bulgars, of proud Bulgars. And so, as you can guess, it was pretty surprising at how he converted and what happened. Now, after the moment, after everything, uh, you know, after uh, the whole situation, 
was basically, you know, assessed by him. After he assessed the whole situation and everything around him, um, he realized very quickly that uh, his position in the Balkans could not be maintained for a long while. Um, with a hostile internal situation and a hostile external, the country was about to falter. It was even worse that um, he was basically surrounded by enemies. On one side, he had the Byzantine Empire, he had Great Moravia, he had uh, the Germans, he had the um, other Slavic tribes who were opposing him and his rule over the Slavs. And he really didn't feel uh, secure in his position. And then he got into a war with the Byzantine Empire. Now, that's when it, get ba it got bad. First of all, uh, the Byzantium Empire was pretty strong. It had just um, destroyed an Arab army, and it was one of that, those uh, infrequent periods in the late medieval times where they actually had power behind the throne, where they actually had an army which didn't fear anyone particularly. And obviously, they turned it against us. They turned against the Bulgarian state, and pretty quickly, um, they scored some major victories. Of course, Boris uh, didn't stay back, and he scored some major victories himself. But uh, he was also threatened from the north, and uh, his position was getting more and more dangerous as the time went on. So, Boris made a crucial decision. Uh, he signed a peace treaty with the Byzantine Empire, uh, avoiding the continuation of the bloodshed and recognizing his own borders in trace, which was a big thing. But he needed to sacrifice something big in order for the Ottomans, uh, sorry, the Byzantines, I'm very sorry about that, in order for the Byzantine Empire to basically recognize his rule over Thrace. So he gave up his religion. He basically promised that he will baptize himself and later on his nation to Christianity in return to those territories, which, of course, was accepted by the Roman-slash-Byzantine aristocracy right away, um, you know, as much as they uh, loved territory and money and, you know, having countries in their control, it was much easier for them to exert that control via a religious order than via a physical one. And that's when... Uh, Things started to go in our way, in the Bulgarian way. They send missionaries to Bulgaria to start converting, and they also send um, missionaries to convert Boris himself. Uh, the bap the baptism itself was a secret event. It happened in secret, and uh, the godfather of our ruler was the Byzantine emperor which tied our two countries together, more or less. However, Boris was a smart man. He knew that the moment Christianity was accepted by the people, the moment both groups in his society accept Christianity, that is the moment when he can forge a single nation out of these two groups. So, he, stopped, he started supporting the conversion, but he also knew that the moment they became Christians, and devout Christians even, was the moment when his control over this new nation that's going to be forged is going to slip. Because the Byzantine Empire, holding the religious center of the Orthodox Christian religion, was a pretty big threat. So, 
what he did was he started to play both sides. It was the time where the schism was actually starting. It was the time where the schism was pretty strong between both uh, sides. On one side you had the Romans, on the other side you had the Byzantine Empire, and both were pretty much contesting on every new convent. So, he sent a message to the Pope uh, on a few questions, a few moral questions. The Pope answered with some pretty great answers. And in those moral questions, people often note that he also asked whether Bulgaria could actually create its own independent church of sorts that would still have the protection of the Pope, but would, in all cases, be Bulgarian. Of course, the Pope denied that request, but he considered it for a while. He actually sent uh, missionaries to Bulgaria to begin conversion in the western right, not the eastern one. Obviously, this infuriated the, uh, the Byzantine Empire. They just realized that they were played, that they were betrayed. So they sent messengers out to meet uh, Boris, who told them pretty plainly uh, that either he gets his independent church or he converts in the Western Rite. In response, however, um, they begin to, to pretty much consider the um, idea that maybe, maybe Bulgaria could retain some sort of form of independence when it came to, um, you know, the church. But, um, it ha but still, they were adamant that the conversion has to be made in the Eastern Rite. So, in all in this diplomatic shitstorm that basically developed afterwards, Boris abused the moment to pull out the best he could for his own country. So in turn, he um, basically uh, reached an agreement with the Byzantine Empire that um, he would get a semi-independent form of the church. They're still going to answer to uh, the to Constantinople, but it's not going to be that hard of a control, and that much of a control. So, eventually, he agreed to that, and um, the conversion began in earnest. However, uh, the conversion itself, um, up to that moment, it wasn't just the outside pressure that was the problem with the conversion, the inside, inside the country, we also had problems with people who were basically contesting the conversion. Um, as you can imagine, there were a lot of Bulgars and Slavs who weren't pretty quick on abandoning their religion, who weren't pretty quick on abandoning these Greek, what they called these Greek beliefs. A lot of them would, Im would prefer to retain them. Uh, there was a big uh, movement of boyars, basically the, arist the arist aristocratic rulers, who opposed Boris in his um, attempts to convert everyone. And for a time, it got pretty, pretty dangerous. It got so dangerous that it almost, almost reached the point where they ousted, they tried to oust Boris and kill him. They failed, actually, and. Um, that resulted in a pretty interesting thing. Now, 
Bulgarian society was, as I mentioned, ruled by Bulgars. So Boris had to find a way to get the Slavs inside the government, inside the ruling classes. But he couldn't just uh, create Slavic boyars uh, because the Bulgar ones would oppose him. And the Bulgar boyars were really the ones who held the military power. So he couldn't just go ahead and go, you know, uh, you guys are dismissed, adding a few Slavs, we're done. So he needed to find a reason to you know, introduce these uh, boyars. And the reason actually presented itself. The reason came by itself. His own son had betrayed him. His own firstborn, Buyan um, Arsate, who was known as a devout believer of the Tengrist fate. He betrayed his father and opposed him. Uh, so, eventually, after his father... Uh, left the throne to him, he reverted back to Tengri, to the Tengrist beliefs, resulting in Boris coming out of his retirement, capturing his son and gouging his eyes out as a revenge for anyone who joined him. Not only that, but he... Um, took 50 out of the 100 boyars and cut their heads off, each of them. Filling the emptied ranks with slabs. This proved to be a pretty much a winning move as, um, of course, it was an op a move that was opposed, but eventually it managed to forge a single pretty strong nation, which his son his third son, Simon the Great, would exploit. Simon the Great would go on uh, to conquer great, amount, great amounts of land, great amounts of territories, and even threaten Constantinople itself. Um, but I'll talk about Simon in another period, in another, sorry, another podcast. But in the meanwhile, uh, I would like also to mention what, what this uh, religion basically meant for the people. It basically meant more unity, even though at first they opposed it greatly. It meant that uh, people as a whole in Bulgaria became accepting of one another, became accepting of the different ethnic groups that basically make up Bulgaria. Because in back in the medieval periods, it wasn't whether you're Slav or Bulgar or whatever. It was about whether you're Christian or any of the other religions that, you know, were around the Balkans. It also secured Bulgaria's borders for a while. It secured Bulgaria's borders for over 40 years. And it allowed Bulgaria to basically build up its strength, which would eventually uh, help Simon the Great, or Simeon the Great, you know, basically smash uh, the Byzantium armies at Aktopo and threaten Constantinople itself. Um, it would also slowly but surely start the process which eventually led to the creation of a single Bulgarian, not Bulgar, not Slav, but Bulgarian nation. Um, still, the divisions would continue up to like the uh, 13th century. Uh, up to the 13th century uh, there would still be the words Slav and Bulgar would still be 
found in scriptures and in writings about the periods. But after the 13th century, those words disappeared. They basically disappeared from our um, vocabulary as a whole. We never, we no longer know each other as Bulgar or Slav, and we no longer divide each other as such. We know each other as Bulgarians, and we consider each other Bulgarian. Um, so religion had an exceptionally strong role, Orthodox Christianity had an exceptionally strong role in developing the national consciousness of Bulgarians. Uh, the reason why I'm saying this is that after we fell under Ottoman control, after the Ottomans basically took over the Balkans, um, Bulgaria itself encapsulated itself within its nationhood and within, most importantly, its religion. Because the Ottoman Empire, as I've mentioned before, is the is before everything else is an empire of religion. She's an empire of Islam, basically. Um, but at the starting period of the Ottoman Empire, the first two hundred years, she had the so the so called millet system. When um, basically she divided um, itself into into two major blocks. On one side you had Anatolia, on the other Rumelia. Rumelia was basically um, the Christians half, it came from Rum, which basically meant Rome, and on the other hand you had Anatolia, which was the Muslim one. Uh, and each one had its own um, set of laws, each one had its own um, millet, which was basically its own court, its own court system, which proved to be wrong in the sense that you had a lot of nations that were grouped under the uh, you know, moniker Roman. And um, you had a lot of ethnic groups that were giving to the Patriarch in Constantinople, who was famously Greek. So basically you had the, all of these nations grouped under the Greeks. So you had some pretty big conflicts there. But still, religion was, again, the defining feature. You were either Orthodox Christian or Muslim. And, of course, you were either Orthodox Christian or successful. Because in the Ottoman Empire, it took it took to be Muslim to succeed. That doesn't mean that um, I'll talk about. The, uh, I want to talk about the Ottoman Empire later on. I'll, talk, I'll make an ep episode about that because uh, life within the Ottoman Empire was a pretty complex thing. Um, Christians were discriminated in some things, but they weren't discriminated in other things. Um, surprisingly enough, we owned our own land and we had control over it, which was. Um, which pretty much clashes with the idea that we were under Turkish slavery, as uh, people in the Balkans usually imagine this. But um, we still, not everything was fine and dandy, and we still were pretty much, you know, objects. Well, more like subjects of an empire. We weren't objects to be traded, but more like subjects of an empire, and there was a lot of abuses. But I'll talk about that in a different time. It, most importantly, religion, why religion also m mattered culturally, because uh, one of the uh, greatest um, writers and uh, basically the person who we consider that kick-started the Bulgarian Enlightenment was Paisi Hilandarsky. Paisi Hilandarsky was basically uh, this Christian monk who wrote... Um, his history of the Slavic Bulgarians. Basically, he wrote Historia Slaviano-Bulgarska. That's how it's named in Bulgarian. Um, writing this scripture, there was a scripture about basically about Bulgarian kings and so on. 
It started with the powerful words of Why do you, Bulgarian, shy away from calling yourself Bulgarian? Why do you shy away from, you know, showing your nationhood? Why do you shy away from your true self? Why do you try and be Greek or Turkish? Didn't you have rulers which were glorious? Didn't you have people which made you proud to be who you are? And basically starting this, he started this period of cultural enlightenment uh, that basically begun in the monasteries. It began in, inside the Christian religion and spread out to all over the nation, lighting the flame of what would, lever, what would later become the revolutions that would engulf the Balkans and uh, lead to the freedom of the Bulgarian state. Also lead to a lot of wars, but uh, that's not a religious fault. I, 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 would, like to see, I would like to note. Uh, that's why it was really important. Orthodox Christianity played an exceptionally important role in Bulgarian society. Um, it also played a huge role during communism. Uh, I also want to talk about communism in a later period, because uh, from my point of view, but I'll, I'll say why. Communism was, uh, before all else, it was an atheist, atheistic, um, it was an atheistic ideology. It was an ideology about atheism. They believed that, you know, in Marx's words, um, religion is the opiate of the masses. But... It also believed in this interculturalism that didn't exactly work in the Balkans. I'll give you a great example with Yugoslavia. Uh, I wouldn't argue about that because, again, I want to talk about this later on. But religion played a pretty important role in Bulgaria because we had a pretty interesting brand of communism. We never actually had this communism which was talk which talked about you know unity. Would you know it talked about unity with the Warsaw Pact and uh, you know unity with our brethren, but it never talked about this world revolution and it never talked about how uh, everyone was going to live in the si in a single communist state and everything was going to be perfect. No, no, no. It never talked about that. It always, always talked about Bulgarians before everything else. It always talked about how it advanced ourselves, the Bulgarian nation. In front of everything else, it, it was basically mixed in with this. It was basically communism mixed in with this interesting form of nationalism, um, and religion played a role in this. Uh, our native church and our native beliefs played a pretty big role in this, because communists really um, considered that uh, even though religion was the opiate of the masses, the communists pretty much knew that we identified ourselves too much with religion to give it away. So they tried doing other things. First of all, they tried infiltrating the church. The Bulgarian church was infiltrated by uh, agents of state security. A lot of agents for state security remained in the church even after the fall of communism until they were disgraced in around the 2000s. And even today, we still have agents of the state security within the church. And people know this and people fight against that. But that's a different topic. The other thing they tried to do is they tried to discredit uh, Christianity, Orthodox Christianity, in a way, in a subtle way, that would basically pull people away from it and towards what communism decided. For example, Todor Zhivkov, our leader, uh, he once ha ha held a campaign towards uh, Bogum Bogumilism, um, 
what Bogomilism is, is basically this uh, belief in ascetic Christianity, you know, this withdrawn Christianity where you, everything was the devil, everything physical was the devil, and you had to withdraw yourself from anything physical. Uh, it was basically a heretic sect within Christianity during medieval times. Um, but it died out. It died out before we reached the, morning, the modern period. But uh, the communists tried reviving it by uh, drawing attention that it was basically, uh, in the idea of the communists, it was basically this um, early attempt at a communist society. Um, you know, as, as everything is thrown through the lenses of Marxist um, propaganda, it's hard to believe, really, in, in modern days when looking back at it, but back then there were people who basically followed this. It was a party line. And they were trying to pull people away from Christianity, but what uh, communism re didn't realize was basically every time uh, this is attempted, every time uh, we are ruled by an ideology or by a religion or by anything that attempts to pull people away from Orthodox Christianity, people cling towards Orthodox Christianity more and more. And there was this, there was this explosion of belief, of religiousness within the people who basically jumped at the chance to be back, uh, at, you know, Orthodox, uh, to be back towards the old religion, to, towards, to be back towards the old ideas. Um, also, it's pretty important to note that uh, Orthodox Christianity has always been uh, connected in Bulgaria with our glory days, with our golden periods, with our best rulers. Because our best rulers, they always advanced Christianity as well as everything else. Christianity in Bulgaria is, uh, is basically connected to overall a good thing. Uh, our Christian church basically saved the Jews, our Jews, during World War Two, uh, in Bulgaria, uh, many bishops. Uh, there, there is this. Um, there is this story about a metropolitan uh, who basically lied in front of the tracks of a train that was supposed to go to the concentration camps in Germany. He lied in front of the tracks and he said that all of God's children deserve to live, and he would rather die than let that train pass. Which basically opened the opened the eyes of the administration, and it reached the ears of the Tsar, uh, Tsar Boris III, who was an exceptional ruler. It, it reached his ears, and he signed the royal decree outlawing any roundings of Jews, any rounds of you know anything, basically denying our the right of the Germans to take our Jews and kill them in the concentration camps. He couldn't. Sadly, he couldn't avoid that in Macedonia and in the occupied regions, and that is a really sad story, and I'm not going to deny that. I'm not going to lie, and I'm not going to go and say, you know, we, we saved all of the Jews. No, we didn't. We couldn't. We basically, we really couldn't. In the occupied regions, we shared occupation with the Germans, and our army, our people, we tried, but we couldn't. We couldn't save them, and that is a tragedy. That was a really tragedy. Um, also... Uh, Orthodox Christianity, basically, uh, as you can see, Orthodox Christianity itself is seen as a very big unifier in the national consciousness. It's seen as a very important part of nationalism, of Bulgarian nationalism and the Bulgarian people as a whole. However, sadly, in modern times, 
Orthodox Christianity has fallen out with the people, and also the church itself has fallen. To the church itself has fallen pretty pretty much. Um, thanks to the communist agitators, thanks to the communist infiltration of the church, um, a lot of the face, a lot of the faces of the church have been smeared. Uh, a lot of the metropolitans, not a lot of them, but some of the metropolitans are known for their corruption because of what they did, because of their con con connection to state security. And they continue to basically live in this, they continue, some of the metropolitans continue to live in this rich life. Uh, you know, of course, that doesn't go to all of them. What I'm talking about is a very big minority, uh, those metropolitans who are basically doing these things, who are basically living in a rich life and um, basically, uh, you know, smearing the face of the church because more and more, more, and more they are um, first and foremost um, communists. They're not pretty much, they're pretty much not religious people. Um, now, if you can, if you can barely, as you can see, I am religious. I, I do believe in Orthodox Christianity, but that doesn't mean I hate other religions or anything like that. It is a pretty tragic. It, it is an exceptionally tragic thing when um, people die, and I want you to leave you with this, with this thought. It is really tragic when people die, and it is really tragic when people die because of religion. Religion shouldn't be something we fight over. Religion should be something that doesn't divide us. Religion should be something that unites us. And uh, sadly, that hasn't been the case for a while. Thank you for watching. It's been a pleasure again. And uh, sorry, I didn't. I sorry if I showed a uh, just this biased position. If it could say, if you could be called that, but what can I do?